Today's guest, Betsy Cameron, grew up in one of the most famous cults ever, the Children of God. It was started in the 1960s by a charismatic evangelical preacher who merged religious beliefs with increasingly depraved sexual and physical abuse, sometimes involving young children. High-profile members of the cult included Rose McGowan and her family, River and Joaquin Phoenix, and Fleetwood Mac guitarist Jeremy Spencer. Bexie Cameron is now a filmmaker and has written a book about her experience in The Children of God called Cult Following. She joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Can you take us right back to the beginning of your story and, and maybe to your parents' story? How on earth did your parents get involved in a cult? I mean, I think at the time period when they got involved, it was 1972 and the world was definitely changing. I think the youth at the time were rebelling all over the place. There was you know, Vietnam War. Um, and they were they were they were looking for change of some kind. My parents were actually both quite you know educated in, in they were in university together. They were both studying um, psychology in different ways. And um, my dad actually went because one of his friends had joined this group with his toolkit, which is such a silly thing to kind of you know <laughs> to join a cult over. Yeah. But he went to get his toolkit back, and my mum heard that he'd joined a cult. And she went to rescue him, and she ended up never leaving. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a decision that happened so quickly for the pair of them at probably quite a poignant moment in time, but, you know, lasts up until this very day. And was that typical of other people who were involved? Uh, I think that, yeah, the conversion rates seem to be really quick, especially at that time. And I know from my own experience of joining 10 more or, you know, exploring 10 more groups since then on my journey that I did through America there was a lot of commonalities between people, um, you know, having these feelings of enlightenment, having this, you know, almost feeling of being taken over, overwhelmed by uh, spirituality and, and, you know, that being a very spiritual, physical thing. So um, when it does happen to people, it seems to happen quite quickly, yeah. So people feel enlightened, but do they also have yeah. to be searching for something? Does there have to be something missing from their lives? I think that's one way you could put it. You know, I've, I've had it described as if, you know, if everybody went to a rock concert um, and you had 5,000 people there, amongst that 5,000, there would be two or three or maybe 10 that would become absolute super fans of that band because they're in the right place, right time, and it just does something to them. It changes their life. So that's kind of just a really simple analogy mm. of how it can work. But of course, you know, it's not a rock band. It's something that completely changes your life. And if you're the child of that person, you don't have that moment of enlightenment. You don't have that choice to join. And that was kind of the reason that I wanted to do this trip and write this book was because actually we, the children of the, of the, of the parents who've joined, we're the ones who are kind of like the innocent passengers in all of this. Mm. So we're the ones who kind of need to be protected regardless of what our parents believe. What was a, a typical day's experience for you as a child in the group? Um, a typical day would be we were the workforce. You know, we were the ones that held those the communes together. We did everything. We did the cooking. We did the cleaning. I was running a kitchen um, from the age of about 10 years old. And I mean, when I say running a kitchen, I was cooking for up to 100 people with um, my best friend who's in the book as well. 
Um, but I think the thing that's more interesting for me rather than the, t- the typical day, because it really was quite samey, was actually how it felt to be in the group. You know, we were in hidden communes all over the place. We didn't know what our addresses were. We didn't, um, we weren't able to listen to music. We didn't have television. So we, you know, I grew up in this group in the 80s and 90s, and I had no idea what was going on in the world. I didn't mm. know anything about music. I, I, you know, I found out about huge bands, you know, years after they split up, and, you know, I'm still actually discovering stuff now. So while there was typical days, I think it's more the case of how unusual our lives were to probably the outside world, but how strangely ordinary it was for us because we didn't know any different. But were you aware of how sheltered you were to the rest of the world? Because as a child, you knew no different. Um, we knew that we were separate because, you know, we would be driven in vans from place to place mm. with, you know, bin liners on the windows. We know we knew that we were secret because we had our language kind of, we spoke in a lot of code to keep us safe. And I think at the time, you know, we, we thought this is to keep us safe. And obviously as an adult, you look back at something like that and you go, was I being kept safe or was I being kept separate or was I being imprisoned in some way? So, yeah, we we knew that things we knew that things weren't right. I think that's the kind of interesting thing to me is that even as children growing up in these separate environments where we didn't have outside influence, we didn't have school, we still knew that things that were happening to us, you know, weren't they weren't right, they weren't morally correct, even though we did believe in the beliefs that we were being told because, you know, that was our one source of information. So you had a sense of of justice in in a way? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, yeah. Yeah. So 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 talk us through the the I guess the next big turning point in your in your journey. And there was a question from a visiting journalist that proved to be pivotal in your life. What what was the question and how did it how did it change your perspective? So the question I got asked was the first journalist to ever come and um, do a piece on the the children of God. And it was a guy called Walter. And I was 10 years old, and he just asked me a simple question of, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd never been asked that question. I'd never even been spoken to in the way that he spoke to me because we believed that we were not going to um, grow up. We were told that we were going to die in the fires of Armageddon. Um, and I didn't have a lifespan longer than around the age of 14. So um, so with that one question, everything changed for me. Like this whole world opened up that maybe he was the one telling the truth. Maybe I could grow up. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the crack in the wall in a way. That's how I describe it. That was kind of the first step to me leaving. And And how does a crack in the wall become a giant fissure in the wall? <laughs> Well, I knew by the by teenage, like by the age of about 14, 15, mm. I was absolutely leaving. Um, you know, I'd had enough contact with the outside world by this point to know that it was the, that it was not for me. And I actually started meeting some teenagers in secret, one of which who helped me plan um, an escape out. You know, he told me all about the world and what I could do. Unfortunately, unfortunately for me at that time, I actually got found out. Um, in the process of planning my escape. Mm. And this is all in very like detailed in the book. Um, I'm really shortening it, but um, basically I got found out and then I got voted out of the house, out of my commune. So that sounds, you know, the best way to describe it is like Big Brother, everyone got together, you know, it was a unanimous vote and um, including my parents. And yeah, I was 15 years old and I got kicked out. How traumatic was that? I mean, at the time, I I just went into survival mode. Yeah. I literally, I think because it was so traumatic that it 
almost didn't like from an emotional perspective i just completely shut down right and you know i was thrown into a world where i you know i had an american accent growing up yeah you know i had to kind of assimilate myself into this person that i am now you know how do i dress what do i say what's the world like you know how do i not stand out how do i not look stupid um and i think for a kid growing up in a completely separate environment where you have your own your own language you know my all of my education was around the bible i had to unlearn most of what i'd learned and also there was the joy of being out and the joy of being a teenager who didn't have an adult telling me what I could and couldn't do. So as you can imagine, we got ourselves into a lot of scrappy trouble mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, we were, we were all so excited by the fact that, hang on a second, we're not going to die. And we have got lives, but we're also terrified by the fact that, well, how do we live them? What does money mean? How do I get a checkbook? You know, and and also just having to work illegally, which all three of us who ended up living together did. Mm. I mean, there must have been so many of those examples, things that that those of us who are living relatively normal lives completely take for granted, stuff like money or access to the internet and access to education yeah. and all of those things that completely blew you away at the time. Do, do you have any examples that spring to mind for, you know, stuff that, we all take for granted that you'd never really considered? I mean, having to work a till was an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting one. You know, I was so grown up from such a young age. I was yeah. an adult from like the age of nine or ten, so I was very competent. You know, I didn't think, oh, oh you know, I'm a child going out into the world. Even though now I look back and I was like, I was a baby. Mm. But I suppose a really good example was the first time that I heard like a dance music song and I was out. Um, at you know, at a music event, and I heard the music coming through me, and to have that experience, never having it before, I mean, that was probably the closest that I would have come to my parents' feeling of enlightenment. <laughs> you know, to actually just being lifted <laughs> and taken away by an incredible piece of music when you haven't heard anything like that before, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, so talk to us a little more about your your trip through America, because you went through all sorts of different groups that exist today, and, and were there threads that that proved to be really similar amongst those groups you know are there are there commonalities yeah absolutely as i said there's commonalities um you know the feelings of enlightenment the all of the stuff that on an emotional level um and as you pointed out there's also the people who join these groups that you know were looking for something that that what is and what's and surprising to me is i think people think that people who join cults are you know um from poor poor backgrounds or yeah. you know alcoholics or you know on the spectrum or addicts or whatever and actually it's that's not the truth it tends to be um middle class educated people who join groups um and and so that was something that i i found really surprising because you know you think that there always has to be this sad story behind it when actually it doesn't tend to be like that but um i think for me what was most important was trying to understand the experience of the children now because that's the perspective that I was coming from. It's all good and well having religious freedom. Absolutely, we can mm. believe whatever we want. But if we're not looking after the human rights of our kids, then there's an issue. So I was going around to all these different groups. I mean, I went to groups, and this is, again, all detailed in my book, that you know, I went to groups that believed that they could channel aliens, to other groups that were similar to mine who were more Armageddonist, to groups who um, were more meditative, uh, yoga groups, that type of stuff. Mm. And you know, amongst all of this, I was constantly asking the question, what about the kids? What's their experience? And to be honest with you, most of my interviews were with like children. Mm. Um, how were they experiencing the world? Were they were they in danger? 
um, you know, even just to try and gauge if they had a, a sense of freedom within themselves, because a lot of the kids I met seemed to be quite um, oppressed as well. And again, that there's details of this within the, tw- the 12 tribes chapters and other groups like that. Um, but yeah, but still finding that amongst whether it was, you know, an Armageddonist group in, in Tennessee or, you know, an alien channeling group in Tucson, that children still find a way to be kids. And that's incredible that um, mm. kids have that. Did you feel an urge to help them? Sorry, say that again? Did you feel an urge to help the children? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's this mm. one point within the within one of the groups where I quite seriously ask uh, Sophie, who I'm on this journey with, how many kids we can fit into the back of the truck and, um, you know, realizing that actually me kidnapping a bunch of children from a group is really a terrible idea. So, you know, we, she persuaded me that it was not a good thing to do, but it was, there was a powerlessness in that. You know, I'd seen some stuff which I thought was pretty horrendous in one group, and I knew what was going on behind closed doors, you know, was not how children should be treated. But, you know, I was there as on an exploration. I was not there to get arrested. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that I, I didn't I didn't do it that way, and I did, the, you know, potentially the right thing, which is, you know, whistleblowing in a different way, which is hopefully what I'm shining a light on this now rather mm. than doing it in a way that would have put me in danger. That mm. could have ended terribly. And, and, and personally, how do you feel about your relationship with the group in which you grow in which you grew up because i know you've i mean you've achieved lots of really amazing things and clearly that experience doesn't define you but it's still a big part of you it's still a massive part of me and you know i think that the group that i grew up in i'll be completely honest about it it doesn't take um you know it takes two minutes to go on the internet to see what the group that i was part of was capable of and they were capable of horrendous things and they exploited children and they exploited the women and you know there are some groups that I've met where I'm like oh actually I can see what was good in this group and I think with my one I can see how it started good and I can see that they had a purpose but absolutely how they turned out was one of the most damaging groups I think that has been in existence outside of the ones that you know like the Solar Temple etc so um but then again, if you look at you know my life now and how I am, and you look at my family, as in my brothers and my sisters, I wouldn't give it up for the world. And I know that that you know was a part of how I became shaped. I wouldn't have done this journey if I didn't have that childhood. I wouldn't have written this book if I didn't have that childhood. Mm-hmm. So you know, if, if it was a real simple toss-up between, you know, would you give up your brothers and sisters and not have had that experience? I never would, not in a day. Mm-hmm. But if you showed me a child and you said, would you put that child through what you went through? And what your brothers and sisters went through, I wouldn't ever let it happen. So it's an interesting kind of thought process. Of course, I love my life, and I'm extremely lucky now. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I'd never let a child go through what we went through. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Betsy. We really, really appreciate it. And good luck. That is Betsy Cameron. Her book is Cult Following. We'll have all the details up on the Newstalk ZB website.